0: What does socialism and the democratic debate have to do with the Ten Commandments? And can we answer some of these questions that were submitted by the students at Concordia University to me this morning? You're listening to Table Talk Radio. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously.
1: You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated the baptism incorrectly. Like,
0: Wait a minute, you're He's mistaken. mistaken to me. He said, you
1: sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism, Pastor
2: Fleming.
3: <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I'm in Mega Crunch. So if uh, you guys have put <laughs> Mega, the mega Crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh,
2: preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious.
1: Giving context to the complaint psalms, this is
0: Table Talk Radio. <laughs> hey, Pastor Wilkner, how was chapel hey. this morning? It was good, you know what I did. I got. I'm counting now. I I handed. I went to do the chapel service at Concordia, Texas, and here in Austin, and um, it was fun to see the kids over there, and uh, and I handed out note cards and I said, "Write your theology questions. I'm going to answer them in a stop and go. Through. We could finish these questions here on the air. Sure. And so driving back, I think I answered 23 or something crazy like that questions. Nice. Yeah. So th- so you weren't
1: doing the question answered during chapel it was for the way home from chapel yep that's right got it okay got it yeah good deal good deal all right well we're gonna do uh uh, buzzwords and then we're gonna play a little ten commandments in the democratic uh presidential debate which is really i mean it's like you, you could just have a list of the ten commandments on the wall throw a dart at it and you'd be fine (laughs) <laughs> in fact, why don't this you do a, that over there? Why, yeah. <laughs> I do need a Ten Commandment dartboard. <laughs> That's, all right. So you throw the dart at the Ten Commandment dartboard, and then you have to figure out in what way that commandment was uh, – we don't say just involved in the command, in the debate, broken in the, in the debate. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Uh, and then we're going to, uh, I guess, finish up your homework there over there from Concordia Austin. So
0: Yeah. That'll be fun. All right, so what's your buzzword, Pastor Wolfgang? Uh, my buzzword for you is natural law. How about that for an appropriate context-aware buzzword? <laughs> I, I know of no such a thing, but go ahead. This is the idea that there's right or wrong or a moral order. What, how did I define it here? I can't read my word. Embedded, that's the word. Embedded in nature. That's it. That's, that's it. how I'm going to define it. That's my own definition. I just wrote it out right there. Well done. Well done. All right.
1: My theological buzzword for you is uh Sanhedrin or oh, nice. Sanhedrin, whichever whichever you think is uh I'll I'll accept both if you use Okay. Right, if I if I use it in both ways, I'll get double points. Yeah, so they think that this uh this uh came about in the 3rd century BC, but it was a group of 70 members of of um Jewish leaders and um priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, elders, all of these and um they are then um oh then uh, then i think that the the uh, the what the uh the chief the the what am i trying to say uh that i have no idea <laughs> Uh, the El Presidente of the Sanhedrin was the high priest, so he presided over the group. And so, this is uh, th- these are the ones who are always trying to get at Jesus, uh, as he you know, because he's going around and he's teaching things and he's healing people, and people are starting to follow him, and they're not really listening to um, the this Pharisees anymore. I mean, this is this is really something if you think about some of the divisions that existed um, in ancient Israel you had the I mean just take the Pharisees and Sadducees just, just that group alone they hated each other mm-hmm. but they did they did find ways to unite you know you need to come together on certain issues and the issue they came together on was hating Jesus mm-hmm. <laughs> he was he was opponent to both and so uh it's uh, uh the high priest and the Sanhedrin that eventually conspired to arrest Jesus so it was um, it was a high priest it was uh Caiaphas who said uh, you know it's better that one man die, because it would save the whole nation. Of course, by that he meant um, that the Romans wouldn't come and take our power from us, so why not just kill one guy, get Mm -hmm. it over with, and then we have our nation back. Uh, But, of course, John tells us that um, Caiaphas was saying that unknowingly, prophetically, (laughs) that one man's death does save the entire nation. In fact, not just the nation of Israel, but all people.
0: Hmm. Great stuff. I thought the Sanhedrin went back to the... Days of Jethro and Moses.
1: Well, you could be right, but according to the uh, uh, CPH Small Catechism Appendix, Sanhedrin originated in the 3rd century BC. (laughs)
0: Because I thought, remember when uh, Moses was having all that trouble with all the people and and Jethro's like, you're driving yourself crazy doing all this work. Appoint 70 elders to rule over the people. Well, you have contacts with CPH. Why don't you uh, submit that for review? I will. And also... I have another point to make about the 70, because that's how many people Moses took on the mountain with him and Aaron and Joshua and Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders. And they went and they saw God and they ate and drank with him. Remember that wild yeah. and crazy time?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: What was going on there?
1: It was the beginning of the oh. Sanhedrin right there. I think so. And they were the ones who made the Septuagint, weren't they? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> 70s. What other seventies can we come up with here? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, all right. So
0: we're gonna take a look. Did you watch the Democratic debate from Nevada? I did. You... Finally, I got a chance to sit down and watch the old debate. I said, of course, this will be fun, peaceful, and man, oh man! Yeah, I'm watching cats
1: fight. A in nice, the alley. a nice restful evening. I think I watch the Democratic debate. What's uh, going course, on? The big, they
0: were after each other. The Ooh, big buzz.
1: Boy. The big buzz on this one was that uh, Mike Bloomberg was allowed on stage. Now, the big controversy behind that was that the Democratic Party had set certain... Uh, now this is my understanding. So someone might be in the know better. But the, the this Democratic Party set certain um, benchmarks to hit in order to be included in a televised debate. Um, and they were t- typically two benchmarks. One would be um, rankings in the polls. And the second one is a certain dollar amount donated by donors, and um, uh, Bloomberg had been getting the benchmarks in the polls, but he didn't have the donor dollars because he didn't need them. <laughs> I mean, it does remind me when, when when Trump was running, he said, the only difference between me and these guys is I don't have to spend other people's money to run for a president. And <laughs> Bloomberg, I looked it up, Bloomberg's net worth. Well, first of all, what do you think Trump's net worth is? I don't know. There's a controversy. Is it like six, seven billion or something like so that? It's, at least, according to the White House, three billion dollars. Okay. Okay. Bloomberg, like sixty-three billion dollars. I mean, so that <laughs> there's like <is> a, <laughs> there's, a yeah. lot of billions. Yeah. There's like twenty-five Trumps inside of Bloomberg, right? So, uh, so here is this guy. I mean, the, the Democratic Party, their whole, I mean, they they for for a lack of a platform, their platform is hate the rich, love the poor, right? And then here comes along Bloomberg and says. I would like to run, too. <laughs> like, sure, we need a punching bag. <laughs> I mean, yeah. holy cow. They really came after
0: the guy. huh, oh, I know it. That's, uh, I mean, uh, I saw that, and I thought, huh. Because I thought, you know, you see the ads with Bloomberg, and you're know, like, man, he looks pretty good there, standing there with, like, his outlawed gallon of Coke and tough outlawed. on crime or whatever. Right. right. And then, uh, But then he gets on the stage, and it's like, whew, and he's not even he, – it's the crazy thing is that there's Bernie Sanders there, who I think we'll probably talk about, who's winning all of these debates, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to go after him because it's like – now, again, you and I are not the political insiders here. Now, right. And the whole purpose of this exercise is to, is to try to think about these things maybe beyond politics or sub We want to think about them in terms of the Ten Commandments. In other words, we're going to be asking, how does God's wisdom apply to these conversations? But but just kind of practically, like here's the guy who's winning. You'd think that if you wanted to be the guy who's winning, you would go after the guy who's winning. But it doesn't seem like there's yeah. any political will to do that. They're like, well, we're going to take it away from him, like we did last time. Well, he's not going to be the nominee. Yeah, worry, uh, well, so
1: that's that's interesting. I mean, it is. Int- I I also thought. I mean, so Bloomberg is hitting the marks to. As far as polls would be on the debate, but he's nowhere close to being a front runner. So it is, it is interesting that they're wasting so much energy beating up on Bloomberg. But I think, I think the advantage to the strategy is to just, you know, take out a rich guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, if 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 their platform has been hate the rich, and then a rich guy walks in the room, what do you got to do? <laughs> you know, he's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, now we got to beat him up. <laughs> yeah, we know just what to do with guys like you. <laughs> but this is going to be interesting because. Because Bloomberg, I mean, he, he although he he took a lashing at the debate, he had some zingers in there, and I, I I don't know if the quote that I have brings it up. We'll see, but but Bloomberg points out, uh, Bernie Sanders, you have like three houses. <laughs> you know, how could you be so anti-rich when you yourself have three houses? <laughs> you know, I mean, these guys are trying to relate to the the poor class, the the hardworking, you know, and it's like, but. I mean so in other words rich is a, a is a relative term you know mm-hmm. if you're going to say we're going to hate the rich to what level of rich are we going to hate <laughs> you know mm-hmm. at some point at some point I'm going to find myself above that that line and mm-hmm. I, I got to still appear uh relatable
0: I think, I think I heard on some news story they were talking about how um it was it was one of these things where Bernie Sanders used to talk about how we got to get the billionaires and the millionaires out until he then was a millionaire and then <laughs> you got to change the conversation Yeah, slightly. now it's just the billionaires are are evil. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing's a bit of a mess because I mean you're right. You you start with um if you start with the idea that we're against wealth, then I, I mean where you know how do you it, it's it, it, you're just going to have a, a class warfare right you know right and, I, I mean, and it's I, just
1: and I think that's part of it and, I, and and you know I was hoping that we could we could talk a bit about the kind of socialistic ideas here and uh put those against the ten Commandments and see see how they come out. Um, so we'll be talking about that after this break. Uh, if you have anything to chime in, you can sit, uh, send us an email, questions at org or give us a call, 1 800 385 SOLA, 1 800 385 7652. We'll listen to this audio from the debate right after this.
2: the myth that practice makes perfect. You're listening to Table Talk Radio.
0: The Sunday drive home, grappling with the text and the Theo vlog. These are some of the playlists on the YouTube channel. Visit YouTube slash One. Check it out there.
1: All right, we're back. Now, I have one more thought before we listen to this audio, because I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in this, um, uh, we were talking about the, the idea of socialism. Now, I remember, uh, wasn't that long ago, like four years ago, that um, maybe I was listening to Fisk, or maybe it was you, I don't know, someone was talking, and they are pointing out, because it needed to be pointed out at that time, that a self self. Proclaimed socialist as a front runner in the Democratic race, right? And that was that was yeah, the, the last last election. So so before that, I mean, it, it was noteworthy. It was something that needed to be pointed out that someone who called themselves a socialist was was a a, a valid contender for the Democratic ticket. Now, uh, last week at the Trump rally in Colorado, uh, Senator Cory Gardner said made an interesting point. He said. The dangerous thing that Bernie Sanders has done is he's normalized the idea of socialism in the Democratic Party. So last time, Bernie Sanders was kind of the the, the outlier, and now um, almost every Democrat running save minus uh, Joe Biden <laughs> – uh, and I don't know about Bloomberg, probably not Bloomberg either – but almost every Democratic candidate has major socialist ideas – Embedded into their their policies, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this mm-hmm. this this has become now. As far as I know, Sanders is the only one who is outspoken to say I'm a democratic socialist. But if you look at you know Warren, Klobuchar, uh, Pete, you know they they all have these ideas of of taking money from the rich and you know and redistributing it to the poor. So I'm interested in in that in that idea and how it purports to um, Christian thought. But let's listen to a little bit of this debate and uh, see what we can find here. Okay.
3: Let's talk about democratic socialism, not communism, Mr. Bloomberg. That's a cheap shot. Let's talk about democratic – let's talk about what goes on in countries like Denmark. Where Pete correctly pointed out, they have a much higher quality of life in many respects than we do. What are we talking about? We are living in many ways in a socialist society right now. Problem is, as Dr. Martin Luther King reminded us, we have socialism for the very rich – Rugged individualism for the poor. Wait a second. When Donald, let me finish. When Donald <laughs> Trump gets 800 million dollars in tax breaks and subsidies to build link, to build luxury condominiums, that's socialism for the rich. Wait, when wait a Walmart, we have to subsidize Walmart's workers who are on Medicaid and food stamps. Because the wealthiest family in America pays starvation, wages, that's socialism for the rich. This, this is, I believe in democratic socialism okay, for no. working people, not billionaires. Health care for all, educational opportunity all right, Senator, for all. Senator, thank you. Come Mayor Bloomberg, you like, that that the for question all, was about socialism. What a wonderful country.
1: Okay.
0: Um, oh, that's when the that's e- when the zinger came. Right? Should I play that? <laughs> yeah, let's do this. No the socialist
3: zinger. in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What I miss here? <laughs> well, you'll miss that I work in Washington, house one. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, <laughs> house two. That's good. And like thousands of other markets, I do on the camp. But- Forgive me for that. Where but- is your home? Which- oh,
1: isn't that interesting? So, okay, so I work in Washington. Okay, that's the first problem. Then I live in Vermont. Okay, that's the second home. And then I have a a cabin. Forgive me for that. I, I mean just the language shift, you know? I mean mm-hmm. from the from the one moment he was he was saying, "Look, you you guys can't get tax benefits for being rich and then saying, oh, by the way, I have, you know, these other homes." And and, and you know, just just the the vilifying of people having money to the I'm not that ri- I'm not as
0: rich as other people are. There is this hmm. Okay, let's maybe here let's so let's let's kind of set the stage a little bit for reflecting on this and, and bring a couple of things to mind. Number one is we want to always remember the three estates. Remember the three estates? Uh I've heard of those. Remind me again what those are. So, you have <laughs> one, the family, two, the church, and you know what, I've been thinking about this because whenever you list the three estates, you got to list one first or one second. And I've been trying to figure out which is the first estate: is it the family or is it the church? And I've been paying attention to how, when people talk about them, how they list them. And Luther, this is kind of wonderful. He actually goes back and forth. Mm. So he won't. So it depends on what you're talking about. If you put the the, the family first or the church first, does the state go an interesting first? kind of phenomenon. <laughs>
1: Huh? But the state never goes first.
0: The state is always... No, not only does it never go first, it never goes second. <laughs> the, the state is the third estate, and it is always the last and the least. Remember when we talk about the three estates, that the family is for the purpose of earthly life, having and supporting. and The church is for the purpose of eternal life, having and supporting. And the state is the purpose of little deaths to avoid complete death. <laughs> so it, the state has the power of the sword, which is an essentially a destructive power. Right. I mean, the sword doesn't create. I mean, I guess unless you're like carving an ice sculpture or something, you know, the sword is a destructive tool. So the state is a destroyer, always a destroyer. But it's the the thing that it has to destroy is other destroyers so that everything isn't destroyed. Hmm. So you got to lock up the criminals so that they don't take everybody's stuff or kill everybody. You got to go to war so that the war doesn't overcome the whole world and we're just living in charred ruins. So the state is a death dealer. I mean, it, that's what it, it's instituted by God to do. But and so but, and by this, by the very nature of the state, it's the least important, and yet it is that which interests us the most. And I think that is unfortunate. Like I think because hmm. I think that if if things are good in your church and things are good in your home, then it's, things are going to be fine for you, no matter how bad they are in the state. Even, I mean, it's the state could get as bad as it could possibly get to where it locks you up and cuts holes in your mouth and burns you at a stake like the martyrs, and you're still fine. You're like, uh, I got Jesus, so I'm fine. But if you don't have a good home and you don't have a good church, then then it doesn't matter how great the state is. Things are just going to go be poorly for you. So just on a very practical level, we should try to bend our attention as much as possible toward church and towards church and home and uh I mean we have to pay attention to the stuff in the state, but it always wants more it's like it's it's like the Napoleon complex, and maybe that will soon be this <laughs> is this whole question of. I have to admit that I Googled how tall is Mike Bloomberg. After
1: the <laughs> and the Because I
0: saw this whole controversy about if he was going to have a podium that had a little slide-out shelf that he could stand on because he's so short. But you remember the Napoleon complex? Napoleon was this tiny little guy, so he'd always put himself up on these horses, this huge, so he'd seem better than anybody else. Mm. Well, the state is like that. The state mm. the estate of the state is always tempted to try to be more important than it really actually is. So we always want to think of these things in terms of three estates.
1: Well, I I want to... Oh, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought.
0: Well, and one other thing is that we also got to always keep in mind our understanding of human nature and especially concupiscence, which is wanting what we don't are not authorized to have. And Mm. that's going to show up... You know, concupiscence or lust, I suppose, takes its different forms according to the commandments. So you have... So you have sixth commandment lust, that's sexual immorality. You have fifth commandment lust, that's anger, rage. Then there's a seventh commandment lust, which is greed. And so this is gonna that I think is especially gonna be the question is is um is the seventh commandment and our tendency towards greed and how that's gonna play itself out in our political conversation. So I, I wanna and I,
1: I'm I wanna come back to that too, the the three estates. But to to meditate a little bit upon what Bernie Sanders is suggesting, that when um someone when some real estate investor like Donald Trump or anyone else um is putting up a, a, a condo building and he gets tax breaks, that's socialism, it's just socialism for the rich. Or if you know, we're giving certain incentives or tax breaks for Walmart to put in um some development, then that's social socialism for the rich. So it seems like Bernie Sanders has a definition of of you know giving money, government giving money to anyone is socialism. It's just a question of uh, who who is the socialism in favor of, and um, I would I would want us to think about that a little bit because um, the, the government has has an incentive to collect tax revenue, right? And so there are times in which the government has said, you know for people doing certain activity we're going to not collect tax revenue. Now why on earth would a government ever say we're not going to collect tax revenue? And the answer is because it incentivizes, right? I mean so so if you're if you're going to get a tax break for fill in the blank, then you're going to be more likely to do that activity. So a way that a government can kind of manipulate um its well, economics or whatever would be to Give tax breaks. So, so for example, um, you and I are are our pastors, our clergy under the the tax law, and we, and we have certain tax benefits like a housing allowance and things like that. Um, now, why on earth, again, would the IRS care about uh, pastors, clergy, ministers? It's because that whenever that tax law was written, they understood that pastors and churches do a social good for our society. So by giving them a tax incentive, it promotes that good activity in a society, right? So you're tracking here? Um, I'm tracking. And so why then would the government give tax breaks to real estate investors or uh, big businesses, things like that? Well, because when big businesses are incentivized to... Um, do their investments or their business uh activity it creates jobs it stimulates stimulates uh, uh economy it gets you know builders uh jobs and and work i mean there's so much that goes on the more business can do what big businesses do the more it trickles down into more uh jobs and opportunities now to say that that is akin to socialism where we're taking money from people who have earned it and giving it to those who are relying upon um, entitlements is the same thing. I mean, that's, that's quite a stretch that Bernie Sanders is expecting us to go along with. So now, after that, I want to then compare that to the family, church, and state. I'm afraid we're already out of time for our second segment. Joy, joy. Joy, joy.
2: How many table talk radio listeners does it take to change a light bulb? you'll probably have to settle for one. The Daily
0: Bible Meditation Blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out.
1: All right, we are back. Uh, More Table Talk Radio now. Um, So we're we're talking about, then, how the government deals with its tax revenue and how it it gives out its entitlements. Now, how would we understand this, Pastor Wolf, in light of the Seventh Commandment, Uh, everything that that we heard Bernie Sanders say and and in light of the difference between tax incentives and entitlements? How how could we think about that in light of a Seventh Commandment issue?
0: Well, I think—so Seventh Commandment, you shall not steal, by the way. Remember that. Different people have it numbered differently, so— and and we want to also remember that when we get to the commandments, we want to expand them. In other words, there's a there's a there's a world in which there ought, we ought to live in a world in which it can be true that that you would not steal. And for there that to be a world, there has to we live in a world in such a way that theft is a possibility. There's a danger. There's always this danger. Hmm, the utopian approach that that you bring about the perfect world by destroying uh how 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 do we get there you bring about the perfect world by dis- by destroying the the possibility of sin mm. so for example if there's no marriage there's no adultery <laughs> or if there's no life there's no murder or if there's no private property there's no theft mm. you see so there's always this way that the devil tempts us not, not just to steal but to make stealing impossible <laughs> You see, if there's no truth, there's no lying, and so so this kind of utopian vision of the destruction of the institutions to where there's you can't sin against the institutions because there's nothing to sin against. I mean, this is very practically the problem that, for example, children find themselves in when they don't know their dads. Hmm. How can they honor? How can they fa- honor their father and their mother if they don't have a father? If you, how do you? You could dis. I mean, you, it's not even possible to break the commandment because hmm. you don't. You know, see. And so there's this danger that 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 a lot of utopian political agendas are going to are going to bring themselves to us and present themselves to us as these sort of utopian dreams with the uh and and they get there by destroying the institutions and and so we we want to at least let's say this we want to at least be wary for this kind of thing. That's
1: fascinating because um so um John Stossel you know that guy Strossel I think it is um, does a lot of videos on this. He's kind of a libertarian guy, but he he made a video on kind of the the progression of a socialist society. And what happens is that when the the government then starts um, taking taking money from the big businesses and giving redistributing it to the to the poor, that the cost of goods and services goes up. I mean, obviously, because now now that business has to accommodate for this great outflow, and and that. Costs of goods and services, even food and things like this, get so high that um, that no one can afford the goods and services. So then the government has to come in and and take control then of the business itself. And he looked at this from uh, in Cuba and in Venezuela. And when business business when the government was taking over these big businesses, the people cheered. Now normally we we you and I at the thought of government taking over a business we we would we would abhor that thought like someone someone started that business from the ground up and and made it to what it is today and the government takes it over but here in venezuela and cuba they were they were cheering <laughs> and and so so he kind of tracks then these these marks of of where it goes and then it, you know from there when government takes over the the uh, the businesses um there's still not enough resources to go around because the, the government can't do it as well as the businesses do, so then you know, usually violence results after that. But here's my thought, that I think what has to happen first—and this is to your three estates—what has to happen before we get to the point where the government would be saying, I'm going to be the entity that will redistribute wealth, those who have made uh, a lot of money have made too much money, that it's unfair for those who are, who are poor— before a government can get to that stage the church has to be completely out of the picture because it used to be before before there were before there were food stamps and and socialism and or i should say um what, public assistance things like that before all of that was around there were charities and churches who would come in and not by act of law but by mercy and compassion would help people in a tough situation right and and now we we're, we've seen like the catholic charities who can't do adoption services because they're not doing it according to what the law says they have to do it things like this i mean so that the the church has to be pushed out of the way before the
0: government can get to that 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 point yeah no that's uh, that is really interesting cuz i was thinking the same thing and also with the family or even just kind of with basic morality because there there has to be something well i to have a society that's ordered well there has to be a, a check to human greed there has to be a check to to the flesh in some ways you know there's a check to that and so but and so the but the problem is we find ourselves in this weird situation where the socialists are just saying we're against this kind of we're against greed in the form of capitalism and the the capitalists or whatever on the other side are saying we're against the form of we're against this form of greed called socialism. (laughs) Whereas what is, uh, uh, what did someone say? Uh, It was as a Tom soul quote where he says, how come it's considered greed to keep what I make, but not considered greed to take what I made and give it to someone who doesn't have it. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, in other words, both are arguing against greed. And and I think that's, and so the both are in a, in a way saying we, we need a check on this. Which I think is right, but here's the point is that there there can be no—the ch- state is not equipped with enough to put a check on the inner life of man, there, to put a check on greed, uh-huh. uh, to put a check on lust, etc. You can't start to legislate people's intentions or their desires. You just can't—the law the, the law of the state—now, the law of God can reach that far, but the law of the state cannot. Uh-huh. And so they're right in there. I suppose, in one way or another, they might be right or partially right in what they're condemning. But their solution is from the, you know, the super secret committee, which is the make sure that the solution makes the problem worse committee. Right. I remember that committee. Yeah. That's so. it seems like. That's what that's where all the solutions come from. So <laughs> the individual corporate greed is 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 bad. So what's the solution? No corporations. <laughs> well, OK you know that's like saying mar- there's it's like there's a husband who mistreats his wife and so what's the solution well no more marriage because then there'll be no husbands that mistreat their wives well i'm sure i'm pretty sure that doesn't mm. that just makes the problem worse
1: yeah yeah i mean so i i've also the thing about this in in light of a point that you've made on this show several times of these kind of um this this justified um attack at the oppressor when you when you create this kind of oppressor oppressed relationship um and so i see that that what's necessary then for uh socialism in in whatever degree to be accepted is that you have to create the tension i mean in other words just because there are poor and there are rich people to varying degrees doesn't necessarily mean that there's a clash in classes right it could be that there's poor people and rich people right <laughs> i mean there's mm-hmm. that's and that's kind of okay right i mean there's nothing inherently wrong with that i think uh capitalism comes along and says hey if you want to be one of the rich ones and you're one of the poor ones you could you know work hard and and get there um but but for socialism to work you have to come along and say, Look how unjust it is that there are people who have money and then there are people who do not have money. Now, you and I might might think about this in terms of the state of the family or the state of the church and say, Yeah, there's there's a place for, for charity and helping people out but that that always comes as a as a measure of love. Um that is to help people out, not to, to give someone a dependency to live on, right? and um but but for 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 the the language of the of the democratic race right now is to say look how how terrible it is that there's super rich people, and then there's really poor people. We need to do something about that. That's creating the the oppressor oppressed dichotomy to which um the oppressed would want to say, I need to vote for the person who's going to who's going to knock the oppressors' heads together
0: right. That's right well I mean that, and that's always i mean the kind of you know that's the marxist thing workers of the world unite um you know that's that's the that's the that's the cry um that's that's offered there um and it's not so good <laughs> i mean let's just we can just say that All right. to, to, to set people against each other yeah there is a i mean but look we so here's part of the problem is that and I don't know if this is the right thing to say. Uh, that I, mean, I I don't know if the, I just I don't actually know if this is right. But I'm, I'll just we're talking about it. So it seems like there's a that what what we have in the progress those who style themselves as progressive is sort of compassion run amok. Um, but what we have in I, there's there's danger on the other side that you have, for example, like. Profiteering run amok, uh-huh. or whatever. There's going to be danger on every side. Sure, and, and and all of them show the sort of the evidence. What we've we've just we've lost a sense that that there is a that there is a Lord, and that we are not that Lord. Huh. I mean, if you take if you take love, and you take it out from under the dominion of Jesus, or even the dominion of natural law, then it starts to run amok as an, an abstraction. Or you even take justice, and you take justice out from under the rule of of Jesus or of natural law, either one, then you get then it kind of it runs amok, and it seems like this is in every direction we have these things running running amok. They're no longer under the the, the authority of of Jesus or even of any sort of natural law.
2: Mm,
1: yeah, great, great point. All right, we need to take one more break, and then we get back from this break. We're going to be answering theological questions from students from the Concordia, Tech, Concordia University, Texas. Right up.
2: Don't ask me why, but you've been listening to Table Talk Radio. So I've kicked up the Wolfmuller One YouTube channel. And I was
0: talking to Daniel, my expert YouTube advisor about it, who said, Dad, your stuff is really bad. I know, Daniel, I know. But look, I have 4,006 uh, for watch time. And to monetize on YouTube, you got to have 4,000 hours. And I, I look, I said, look, 4,006. And Daniel says, Dad, you have 4,006 minutes, not hours. <laughs> anyway, if you want to see what we're up to over on YouTube, you can visit YouTube, search for Wolf Wolfmiller Wolf 1 is the channel name. See you there.
1: I got a lot of questions if you were able to drive from Concordia University to
0: your church and still have some left over. I answered 14 questions I just counted. And I have one, two, I didn't count these, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine. Don't worry, you can count on the air. It's nine. Great. Okay, good. I have nine and three blank note cards.
1: <laughs> this is my question. <laughs> Uh, you know, when I don't even know what to ask, the Holy Spirit intercedes with groaning too deep for words. <laughs> Eeny,
0: meeny, miny, moe. Hope it's an easy one. Does it actually say anywhere in the Bible that Jesus physically descended into hell when he died, or does it just say that he defeated sin and death and the devil? Ah,
1: this is a great question. This is a great question. So, um, when so the, the place where we derive this is from First Peter chapter. Help me out. Three. Yeah. 3 I think first right Peter chapter 3 right in there
0: right uh, in the neighborhood of it
1: <laughs> it's got to be chapter 3 cuz that's where the 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 flood passage comes in about baptism um so first Peter chapter 3 and it, so the the text in first Peter chapter 3 does not say uh and he descended uh body into into hell so in what way can we derive that or think that if the text doesn't explicitly say that well this really comes not from uh, the doctrine of the descent to hell, which, again, comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, um, where it says that he, he made proclamation to the spirits in prison. But this actually comes from our Christology, right? So that uh, our our uh, confession of who Christ is is that uh, true God from all eternity, the, the second person of the Trinity, has become united in uh, a personal union of uh true man born of woman, and these two natures are never to be divided. So no, no at no point ever after the conception in the womb of Mary do, is the divine nature and the human nature separated, that, that we can make distinctions uh, in the life of Jesus, but never are they separated or divided. So anything that is true of the man Jesus must also be true of the second person of the Trinity. So this, this became a controversy when... Um, Uh, the, The language came up that, is it okay to call Mary the bearer of God or the mother of God? And some said, look, you can call her the mother of Jesus all day long, but the moment you call her the mother of God, you've crossed the line. Well, what are we saying there? We're saying that in some sense, Jesus is not God, right? Or we could go to the other end of the spectrum when he dies on the cross to say God died. You go, whoa, wait a minute, God can't die. So let's just back it off and say Jesus died. But in saying those things, you're making a distinction between the divine nature and the human nature. So we have to hold both of these things as true all the time. Whatever is true of the man Jesus is also true of his divine nature as God. So when the text then says that Jesus made proclamation to the spirits in prison, uh, our Christology demands that we would confess that he went uh, in body to the spirits in prison.
0: But I have a question, okay. because I've said this. So G- the body of Jesus is in the... So just to take it up where Jesus is, has died, and he's in the tomb. The body of Jesus is in the tomb. The spirit of Jesus is in at the Father's right hand, according to the confession. You will be with me in paradise, right? Okay. And yet, and yet uh, the divine nature has to be bound up to both. So the divine nature, even though the body and soul are separated, the divine nature is bound up to both the body and soul. So couldn't Jesus go with his soul and divine nature to descend into hell? Um...
1: I suppose. Uh... Hey, guys, this is a post-production edit because after recording the show, it bugged me, and I want to look this up and, and, and get it straight. So uh, the whole question really depends on how we translate this line from 1 Peter chapter 3, because verse 18 reads, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive, and is it by the Spirit or but made alive in the Spirit. And from the Greek, either one could be translated correctly. It depends on how you take the dative. So if it's but made alive by the Spirit, that would imply that the Spirit uh, quickened the body of Christ and he descended bodily Uh, to hell, as we were talking about just a moment ago. But if it's translated made alive in the spirit, the implication is that the spirit there is Christ's spirit or Christ's soul. So that as a human being, Christ has a human body and a soul. Just as we have a human body and soul, and that is separated from one from another at death, so that is true of Jesus as well. And so as one with body and soul, his soul would have Um, His human soul would have descended to to hell to make proclamation to the spirits in prison. But even if that's the case, then we would have to still affirm that the— human soul is still personally united with the divine nature of Christ. It does not fit with our Christology to say that only his divine nature descended into hell uh, without his human nature. And really, if we look a little bit deeper into the Greek, it's probably going to be most accurately translated that he was made alive in the spirit. And the reason is that the, the way that we take the date of there is going to be the same on either side. So we probably wouldn't say having been put to death by the flesh, although— we there is a sense that we could probably force that translation. It probably more naturally reads, having been put to death in the flesh. So we have to translate that way on the second side too. But made alive in the spirit. So that's what I found out after the show. Hope that helps. Ah, good question. I think uh, a very astute student that asked that question.
0: It said, "This is a healthy debate I get into with my roommate." That's the kind of that's, yeah, that's what, right. It's good to have college roommates for. Yeah. Keep fighting. All right, you ready for another one? Yes. Eeny meeny miny mo. How do you explain the feeling presence of God you feel every day?
1: Hmm. Well, um, th- I think that this is going to be. Am I supposed to answer all these? Sorry, I, yeah, I'll, I'll answer and you do cleanup. <laughs> all right. So, uh, I think it's important to make a distinction here because, um, uh, th- th- this is where we want to make sure that our theology is founded upon the, the scriptures themselves. And so we might then ask the question, which I think a lot of people have never s- taken the time to do, um, does the Bible support the idea that um, that God is sensed through a feeling? And um, in other words, I think that, w- that m- most of us take that without much consideration. We take that as an assumption that, well, uh, I have... Uh, you know, positive feelings, and um, that has something to do then with with God. So I, I associate the feeling is God's presence, something like this. Um, but it, when we look at the scriptures to ask, uh, is that a, a biblical notion, we might be surprised to find out that the Bible nowhere talks about that God is felt at all, right? I mean, that God never, uh, as far as I can, we'll let Pastor Wolfman do cleanup here. This is the nice thing. Have a, we have theological cleanup on aisle two. That um, th- 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 that the Bible doesn't, doesn't say that God is felt on the inside at all. So how do we explain this? Especially as so many Christians um, take this as as the assumption. Well, I I would submit this that uh, God comes to us as promised in Scripture through the the external means. So we have the Word of God promised to us, and this is where we can know uh, He's He's He's. Uh, present with us, uh, that he's promised himself to us in our baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, he's given to us his body to eat and his blood to drink. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. Now, if we're looking for certainty, then we can say that I know that God is here in these means because he's promised in his word. I mean, there's no question about that, right? It, it says it. Mm-hmm. So um, now, with those with those particular... Truths uh invoke a particular emotional response. I mean we are human beings after all, and we do have emotions, and those Most emotions of us. <laughs> so or maybe this some of us. <laughs> some of us have emotions, and uh those r- emotions are reactionary to the things going on around us so i would I would say that it's not the presence of God that is the feeling, but perhaps that you're uh, you're rejoicing over the presence of God found in His Word, or in His His. And, and, and I think the value of seeing it that way is that we're uh, we're going to be seeing God in where He's promised, despite our particular emotions of the time. So there might be times. In which I've suffered a great loss, or going through a terrible trial, or something like that, and I don't feel God. Yet I can know that even though I don't feel Him, I know He's here for me and forgiving my sins and promising me eternal life, despite my feelings.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe to, so. To, that's a good answer. I think we could just take up the ninth and tenth commandment, which says, "You shall not covet," and and to realize that our feelings are under the jurisdiction of God's law. So even though we think, "Well, I can't control what I feel," well. It doesn't matter. You can repent of what you feel. So
1: you're saying to and, align our emotions to the truth? Is that what you're saying? so
0: so that you, so, Or at least this, to know that if I feel God present, then God be praised because he says he's present. If I feel that God's absent, then God be praised, he's not, and my feelings are wrong. Okay. So that we have a way to judge our feelings. This is the problem is that we are so tempted to make our feelings and our experiences to be the judge of truth rather than letting the Lord's word judge truth so hmm. yep. As a, there's actually I answered a bunch of questions already about feelings it's a really interesting that this topic comes up so often it's very fantastic you want another one yeah two minutes here how does someone turn the other cheek and give themselves in service to others yet maintain healthy boundaries with other people
1: Whew. yeah that's an easy question to answer in a minute and a half well um, get after it well <laughs> okay well let me let me just say this uh, I, I've, I've
0: got more where that came from
1: um, uh, one one of the things that we can we can talk about in these texts like trinator cheek is the context in which they're given. Um and one of those contexts that we might consider when Jesus says the other cheek is is that uh regarding uh persecution for that which we believe. So when the government comes along and says um you know, it's illegal for you to worship Christ, we would just turn the other cheek. Uh, this is not necessarily saying that you must turn the other cheek when your business partner completely <laughs> uh, takes advantage of you. Um, that It's not to say that there should be no reaction to that. So uh, I think that's the first thing to, to maybe establish. 48 Seconds
0: yeah no that's right and and look you know the law we want to apply the law to ourselves which says we're trying to love our neighbor bless those who hurt us and persecute us and so forth and eventually the christian is a martyr and yet when someone who's not authorized to to issue harm so when someone comes and and abuses us then the law also ought to apply to them so so we thank God that there are judges and soldiers and and especially police and and lawyers who can come and defend the innocent from those who would come and hurt them. So, so we we, we want to always be merciful and gracious and willing to suffer, but at the same time we want we also ha- the Christian also has a love for, uh, for justice and the pursuit of justice also. Yeah.
1: Well done. All right, we got three questions in in 12 minutes. That's not too bad, yeah. is
0: it? That's not. not Thanks too for bad.
1: listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio.
0: If we only had sixty-seven more listeners, you guys would be like the Sanhedrin.
1: <laughs> but you didn't even get natural law in, though. Thanks
2: for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. That wasn't Table funny. Talk Radio. I thought you is not for both. everyone. Oh, yeah, Please consult true. your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. I I you made it one. Food, nausea, this time, head, than That's, than That's true. And to Work your way up to, to it. Injuries, to work lycosis, your way back. Death, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell Claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.